right, good morning. How's everybody? Raining again on the weekend. How about that? So, man, we're glad you're here. We're in a series uh, through the book of Isaiah, and we're about a third of the way through it as we're going to spend the rest of the year going through uh, this amazing, amazing book. And so uh, we're in chapter 22 today. If you want to get your Bibles out on your phones or uh, get your notes out, uh, big welcome to everybody who's online. We're appreciate appreciative of you guys being there and uh, pray it's a blessing to you as well. I got to travel this week um, in a couple different parts of our country and uh, I came across the a police officer, and uh, he was telling me a story about one day he was sitting on the side of the road, and and he was uh, there doing traffic, and and uh, was there to hand out speeding tickets, and so he was describing to me uh, a particular car that day that had come by and was going really, really, really slow, and decided, you know what, it's as dangerous driving that far below the speed limit as above it, so he got out on the road, got behind the car, and pulled him over. When he got up to the car, it was full of five ladies who were advanced in their years. And they had gone, some, done some sightseeing. And when the officer got up to the car, he noticed that all the ladies were white-eyed and their faces were just ashen white. And so he knocked on the window and the lady rolled the window down and she said, Officer, what, what, what did I do wrong? And he explained to her that driving that far under the speed limit was as dangerous as driving that far over it. And she said, but I was going the exact speed limit according to the sign. And he sort of chuckled to himself and he said to her, ma'am, you were going 22 miles an hour. And she said, I know that was the posted speed limit. And he explained to her that that was state road 22 (laughs) and not the speed limit. And of course she apologized, she was embarrassed to death and she apologized and he was about ready to leave but he noticed that everybody in the car still had those ashen white faces, their eyes were almost bugged out of their head and they hadn't said a word and he leaned back in and he said, I'm sorry buddy because I just have to ask, is everybody okay in here? And the lady who was driving looked at the officer and she said, yes, she goes, they'll be fine. She goes, we just got off state route 119. (laughs) Right? You know, signs are, signs are, uh, listen, signs are a great thing, but if you, if you miss the sign or misread the sign or misinterpret the sign, it doesn't do any good. And in, and in Isaiah chapter 22 today, we're talking about something that, listen, none of you got up to go to church to to talk about this today at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning. Right? Because sometimes when we come to church, it's inspiring, right? Sometimes you come here and, and what Pastor Joe or, or Pastor Shane or Pastor Ben or Pastor David talk about, it's an inspiring. It's, it's about something that's more important than you. It's something bigger than yourself. And there's, there's just something about it that you're so glad you came for. And then sometimes when you come, the discussion's a little different. Because sometimes what God What God needs to say to us, he says to us individually, and it's not always that pretty. And today's one of those messages. I mean, if you followed along in the series, you know what's going on. Israel is in the middle of of a a time where the Assyrian Empire is, is running rapid. And you've heard Pastor Shane talk about it and Pastor Joe talk about it. The Assyrians were ruthless people. 
They were barbarians. Uh, they had conquered the majority of the known world at this point in time. And when they conquered, they destroyed. Right? They left people in, in complete brokenness and devastation. And God kept telling Israel, you, you're going to have to get your act together or things aren't going to be going very well. And even though God did not allow Assyria to destroy Judah, instead allowed Babylon to do it, Assyria still inflicted a ton of damage on Israel in their attacks on that nation. And God kept asking them and kept telling them over and over and over again, listen, you need to do one thing to get yourself right with God. And that is this, you need to repent. Everybody say the word repent, Repent. right? It's a great church word. It even sounds sort of ominous, doesn't it? Repent, right? It's sort of those, one of those words that hellfire and brimstone, right? Repent. Listen, at the core of its meaning, repent simply means this. Turn. At some point in time, you need to turn. Right? You need to have a mind shift that allows you to believe that the course that I'm currently heading on is a course that needs to be corrected. I need to make a turn. Peter says it this way in Second Peter chapter 3. Here's what he says. The Lord isn't slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Why? Because he doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants everyone to come to what? Repentance. Listen, God's desire for every person in this room and for every person watching online is that you make the proper course correction. Because the, the path that you and I currently choose at times needs to be changed. Now listen, you know this, if you've raised parents, or if you've raised parents, right? I'm sorry. If you raise kids, right? You all know the reality of what it's like when you raise kids. There's times that your children, your teens, sometimes need to make a course correction. Listen, God's desires for every person, when necessary, to make a course correction. Acts 17.30, Paul said it this way. He says, in the past, God has overlooked such ignorance. Right? Listen, there was a time and a season where the course correction... The course correction got overlooked, but it says now, now he commands all people. Everybody say all people, right? All of us in here, everybody watching online, he commands all people everywhere to what? Repent. Listen, I know it's not the most popular thing in the world to come to church, especially at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning and go, man, that's the last thing I want to hear. But the reality is this, that for many of us in this room, Part of the reason why, why following Jesus has become so complicated and why serving Jesus is so complicated is that we're on the wrong course. We've, we've charted a course and we need to turn from it. We need to change. And 30 years of ministry and being a Christian for nearly 40, here's one thing that, I, that I'm fairly certain of. That if you ask most people about repentance, right... They'll tell you they're in good shape. But they're not really sure internally if they've actually repented. Because how do you know? How do you know if you've repented? I mean, I traveled a lot this week. And I, and I, and, and the one thing I love about traveling with these phones is that even if you miss your turn, right? Even when you miss your turn, the phone just does one thing. And it says it right on the screen. Recalculating, right? 
And rarely do you have to turn around. It just finds you a new way to get there, right? And so you just keep driving and your phone's like recalculating, recalculating, right? Because it'll eventually find you a way to get there. When what it should do is say, stop, turn around, right? Go back the way you came. Because in reality, I'm not sure that we always know whether we've repented. And here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at chapter 22 at a nation that refused to repent. And we're going to observe, we're going to observe just a a few things that were happening in the nation of Israel so that you and I can look at our lives and go, well, listen, that's happening in my life. Maybe I haven't repented. Because my guess is this, sitting in a church building, with the church gathered on a Sunday morning after a Saturday night, and with technology allowing you to join us from God knows where, there are some of us that charted the wrong course last night. We still find our way to church, but we plotted the wrong course last night. We plotted the wrong course on Friday night. We plotted the wrong course last week. And how do we know whether we've repented or not? I think there's some fairly observable characteristics of a group of people or an individual that haven't repented. So if you guys will stand, let's read a few verses out of Isaiah 22 and just take a look at those this morning. Isaiah says an oracle or a message concerning the Valley of Vision. The Valley of Vision in chapter 22 is simply Jerusalem. What troubles you now, he says, that you've all gone up on the roofs. A town full of commotion, a city of tumult and revelry. Your slain were not killed by the sword, nor did they die in battle. All your leaders have fled together. They've been captured without using the bow. And all you, all you who were caught were taken prisoner together, having fled while the enemy was still far away. Therefore I said, Isaiah said, turn away from me and just let me weep bitterly. Do not try to console me over the destruction of my people. The Lord, the Lord Almighty has a day of tumult and trampling and terror in the valley of vision. A day of battering down walls and of crying out to the mountains. Elam will take up the quiver with her charioteers and horses and cur and covers the shield. Your choicest valleys are full of chariots and horsemen are posted at the city gates. The defenses of Judah are stripped away. He said, and you looked, and you looked in that day to the weapons in the palace of the forest. When all this calamity happens, you go and look for weapons. You saw that the city of David or Jerusalem had many breaches in its defenses. You stored up water in the lower pool. You counted the buildings in Jerusalem and you tore down houses to strengthen the wall. You built a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. But you did not look to the one who made it. Or have regard for the one who planned it long ago. You see, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, he called you on that day to weep and to wail. To tear out your hair and put on sackcloth. But see, there's joy and there's revelry. There's slaughtering of cattle and killing of sheep. Eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, you say, for tomorrow we die. The Lord Almighty has revealed this in my hearing. Till your dying day, the sin will not be atoned for, says the Lord, the Lord Almighty. You guys can be seated. Things aren't good in Israel. And they're even worse in Judah. And the question of the day is, 
Not why didn't they repent? Because listen, a preacher can stand up here all, can stand up here every week and he can scream at you. He can scream at you. He can scream at you and he can say, repent, repent. You need to change. And I've sat in enough of those sermons to know that that, that tactic isn't that effective. Instead, what I want you to know is this. What are the signs that accompany a life, an individual's life in this room and online that says, I haven't repented? And then let God begin to do the work in you. Here's the first thing I observe from this text about being unrepentant. That's this. And that is that brokenness and destruction are everywhere. Was it almost without fail when you read through this book, this story of God? Here's what you find, that people who live lives that are unrepentant, those lives are often accompanied by brokenness and death. Listen, and, and if, listen, if you've been in a relationship, whether you're married or dating, and your partner, the individual that you're sharing your life with, is living a life that's on the wrong course and unrepented of, you might be sitting in here today a casualty of the brokenness that comes from that reality. Maybe your relationship ended. Maybe your marriage ended. Maybe your family separated because you know firsthand this truth that when you live a life that's on a course that needs to repent and you refuse to do it, brokenness and despair come. Listen, Israel was in a disaster. Jerusalem was a mess. There were dead bodies everywhere and they weren't killed because of battle. These people were dead because of starvation. Listen, these people were dead because, not because their enemy had jumped into the fray and had killed them with the bow. They were destroyed because of Israel's unrepentance. They were lining the streets. Their, their leaders had fled. And other people had tried to escape the city and they were caught. Listen, life was a disaster in Jerusalem. And why? Because they were on a course that needed to be repented of. So here's what Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 and 8 say about this. Because listen, I've got a two-year-old in my house. And I never thought I'd have a two-year-old in my house at nearly 60. But here's what I know about two-year-olds in your house. You always know where they've been. Right? You always know where a two-year-old has been. Because man, do they leave a trail. Right? Whether it's food crumbs or whether it's toys laid everywhere or whether it spills on the floor. Here's what I know. You always know where a two-year-old's at. Because some things just accompany another thing. Listen to what accompanies sin in the life of an individual. Don't be deceived because God cannot be mocked. You can't pull one over on God. It's not like you're pulling one over and he's not aware. God isn't mocked. A man, mankind, reaps what they sow. Anybody here testify to that? Sure. Listen to what he says. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap what? Destruction. You see, the reality is just like when that two-year-old goes through my home and leaves a trail because I know that a two-year-old always brings with him some things that are identifiable. Sin does the same thing. Listen, when sin is evident in your life as a result of you and I pleasing our sinful nature, here's what always comes with sin. Destruction. Jesus said it this way. The enemy comes to kill, to steal, and 
destroy. Listen, I can, I can, I can almost guarantee you that some of the destruction and the brokenness that you see accompanying your life, your marriage, your finances, your family, your work, your own personal struggle, sometimes that brokenness and despair is connected directly to a life that needs to repent. Because destruction always comes with those of us who desire to please our sinful nature. And listen, I know it's not why you came to church today, because that's not inspiring. But sometimes the only way for God to get you to a place that you can be inspired to do what God's made you to do is to get you on the right course. And listen, following Jesus is all about course corrections, is it not? I mean, the reality is we go and then bam, we need a course correction. And then we go and then bam, we need a course correction. Because, because as we're going to see later, there's some greater signs that accompany this one. But the first one is, listen, brokenness and despair, just like a two-year-old, that's what follows sin in your life. The second one is this, self-reliance. Self-reliance reigns supreme. Listen, can you bring up verse 10 there, Mike? Listen, I, this verse just sort of struck me. Listen, Jerusalem is, is, has been under attack. Assyria has come in and attacked them, right? And eventually when Babylon shows up, about 130 years later, listen, they're going to be in a, in a, in a mess and walls are going to be broke down and there's panic in the streets. Listen to what Israel does to solve their own problems. So they're looking around up. You can picture in your mind's eye the city that's smoldering. There's smoke rising. There's walls down. There's dead people everywhere. There's people screaming and wailing. The, the leaders have fled. You're on your own. It's chaotic. And here's what Jerusalem does. Here's what, here's what the people do. It says that they count the buildings in Jerusalem. And they tear down houses. They tear down individual homes to simply strengthen the wall. They decided, listen, they looked around and decided the best thing to do was we can, we can solve this problem ourselves. All we got to do is listen, we just got to come to your house and take down your house. We're going to steal your bricks and we're going to fix that wall. And guess what? We're going to be good. We've already got a 1700 foot trench dug under the ground. We've got water for days. We're going to be, we're going to be just fine. You see, listen, here's what I know is that in an unrepentant nation, and in an unrepentant life, the need for self-reliance goes greater and greater and greater. Because here's what, here's what Isaiah said they did. It wasn't that they used their head to fix the problems. is that they never asked for help. Listen, I would guess some of you in here today and some of you online for sure are at a point where your self-reliance needs to be repented of because you've forgotten to ask God for help. You see, some of you are sitting here today and your marriage is a disaster. Your finances are a mess. Your own personal struggles are overwhelming you. You've got things in your life that you know aren't where they need to be. And yet you're the kind of person that says, listen, I can do this. Right? I'm smart enough. I'm strong enough. I can figure this out. I can be self-reliant because it's the West. Right? And we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Right? And God, right? God, what? Honors those who, who, 
What is it? There you go. Man, I'm old, right? God helps those who help themselves because apparently that's somewhere in the Bible, right? First Opinions chapter 1, verse 1, right? Right? Because what we say, and, and listen, we say that stuff and it, listen, it, it's just, it's, it's not as, it's not as prevalent other places in the world, but you get here, man, listen, we're not, I, I don't know how many of you've ever heard of Brene Brown, anybody, a few people, right? She talks a ton about vulnerability and shame, right? And the reality is that vulnerability isn't something that we're all very good at. As I explained, told my wife, you know, she thinks I'm weird. I've just never struggled with being vulnerable. It's never really an issue to me. But the majority of people struggle with being vulnerable. The nation of Israel in Jerusalem said this. Listen, our city's in a mess. Our walls are being torn down. And guess what? We're going to be just fine. We got this. We're just going to tear down your house and we're going to strengthen the wall. And the enemies, they won't know any different. Some of you are trying to plug your own holes in your marriages, in your families, in your finances, in your own moral struggles. You're trying to do it all on your own. And self-reliance has become a sin that needs to be repented of. Because you've decided to forget the one who caused it. You've forgotten to ask for help. Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 24 says. Paul says this. He says, but to those whom God has called, all of us, Jews and Greeks, he says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Listen to this. He says, for the foolishness of God, God's foolishness is still wiser than our wisdom. And, our, and the weakness of God, the thing that is the weakest about God is still stronger than man's strength. Because God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of this world. Why? And the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You see, ultimately, you know what gets in the way and allows us to be self-reliant is the sin of pride. Pride. I can do this. I can fix this. I don't need to tell it. I don't need to tell anybody what's going on in my life. I don't need to tell anybody else that I'm, that I'm stealing from Peter to pay Paul. I don't need to tell anybody else that I have to keep borrowing money to keep paying my bills and keep creating more debt. I don't have to tell anybody. I can, I can just tear down this wall and it'll fix it. Listen, if you're here today, if you're watching online, listen, one of the things that is, a, that is a completely observable in the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem is this. That is when self-reliance becomes your go-to move, you're on a course that needs to be corrected and needs to be repented of. Because when your self-reliance prevents you from asking God for help, it's time to repent. It's time to repent. And here's the last observable thing that we find, and that is this, and that is, is that self-indulgence rules the day. Because, at the, listen, at the end of the day, at the end of all of this, this is ultimately what sin is about, right? This is ultimately what, what the Bible describes as the desires of a heart. I, I read this definition of self-indulgence, and I wanted to read it to you. It says, self-indulgence is the act of satisfying one's desire. Tell me if this isn't relatable to you, right? To you online. Self-indulgence is the act of satisfying one's desires 
one's pleasures, one's lust, one's whims, especially without restraint. In other words, it is the practice of having or doing anything that you like or enjoy, often some things that you should not have or even do. Anybody in here ever struggle with self-indulgence? Right? Listen, here's what God said to the nation of Israel. Repent. I want you to weep and to wail, and I want you to to put sackcloth and ashes on. It's the Bible's way, the Old Testament way of describing an act of contrition and repentance. And you know what they did instead? They didn't repent. They threw a party. They decided the best way to celebrate the broken down walls, the death in their streets, and the complete chaos of their life is to ignore the reality of asking for help And practice self-indulgence. Just ignore it. Listen, because at the end of the day, 30 years of being in ministry and almost 40 years of trying to follow Jesus, what I ultimately know is this, is that your sinful nature and my sinful nature wants to live. It wants to live. And I don't know how many times you've come to a church service or joined one online and you've done it either prior to are directly after indulging in that sinful nature. And here's the problem. Listen to what Paul describes as the ultimate issue between your sinful nature. Let, let me make sure we're, we're tracking here. Does everybody understand the power of your own sinful nature, your flesh, to want to be self-indulgent? Yes, over here. Everybody good? Everybody track with your self-indulgent sinful nature? Everybody over here? Can I get an amen? Right? Anybody in here relate to how that interferes with your ability to be a Christ follower? Right? Listen, that's a reality for so many of us. And here's why. Here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. He says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, live by what the Holy Spirit desires for you, and you won't gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Listen, if you're focused on doing what God wants you to do, it's going to be hard to do what your flesh wants to do. He says this, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want to do. Anybody relate to that? Listen, the reality is, is that the conflict of your sinful nature and my sinful nature and our desire for self-indulgence is always going to need, listen, it's always going to be something that you and I are going to need to make course corrections about. Listen, some of you are sitting in church today. Some of you are watching church from your home, your car, uh, the Starbucks, whatever. And the reality is what you need more than anything is you simply need a course correction of the self-indulgence that you've participated in. And this was the verse that got me this week. When I was going through this and preparing, this was the verse that God just sort of used to just sort of kick me in the teeth. And it's in Romans 13, 14. Here's what he says. He's talking to believers and he says this, rather we should clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we all get that, right? Listen, we should be more like Jesus. Can I get an amen? Right? I mean, that's pretty simple, right? But look what he says. And don't think, don't think about how to gratify, how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Some of your translation says this, don't make provision for your flesh. 
And so I looked that word up. And here's what it says. Don't be premeditating your desire to fulfill your sinful nature. Don't, don't plan to indulge in your sinful nature. I've been in church long enough to know, and I've been doing this for me personally long enough to know, there's been times I've come to church with a plan already to self-indulge after church. That's happened. And when, and, and, and here's what I know. God has said to me, it's time to course correct. The problem is my sinful nature says, why would we want to do that? We could do this again. We could do this again. Because we could probably do both things at the same time. We could probably come to church and enjoy worship and say, hey, everybody, and have some bacon in the cafe. And yet we can still make provision for the flesh. We can plan to watch porn. We can plan to gamble away our paycheck. We can plan to go get drunk. We can plan to go to the strip club. We can plan to go have the affair. We can plan to go, you add to it. Because we think we can do both. Israel thought we could do both. We can honor God and we can party. We can ignore the plea to repent and we can get on the rooftops and we can kill the fattened calf and we can eat and we can drink and we can be merry because we can say tomorrow we may die. There are too many Christian people who come to church every weekend and what they ultimately need is a course correction from their own self-indulgence. Because there's too many, listen, there's too many of us that have decided one, one act of repentance is enough. And let's be clear here. Listen, I didn't say this last night and I hated that I didn't. Thank God Saturday night crowd, they just accept anything you give them, right? They're so generous, right? Listen, let me just say this. If you're not a believer in here today, and if you're not a believer online, first of all, I'm glad that you're listening. Second of all, to be saved... You need to make that initial course correction. You need to make that initial course correction that says, I'm going to repent from my direction and I'm going to confess my sin and I'm going to be saved. Can I get an amen? amen? Listen, that course correction is necessary. So if you're online, there's a button that says, I have decided. Push it. Somebody will be there to talk to you about it. At the end of the service here at Norman, over here to the right, there'll be a group of people that form our decision team. They'll be more than glad to talk to you about making that initial course correction. But for the rest of us here and online that already have done that, listen, you and I know the journey of faith is a long journey and there are multiple course corrections that need to be taken. Can I get an amen? And the reality is for some of us, the reason why this Christianity thing doesn't work and why it stinks is because we've done what Israel did. We've decided we can do both. We've decided, first of all, the brokenness around us can be ignored. It can be attributed to the enemy. Oh, Satan's killing me. Satan's coming after me. And we can ignore the brokenness and the reality that unrepentance ultimately leads to destruction. Because that's what sin brings. We can ignore the fact that we've become the kind of people that we will not ask for help. We will not tell anybody that our walls are broken down. We won't tell anybody we've robbed Peter to pay Paul. We won't tell anybody that the broken down wall, we're going to take your house and destroy it so we can fix our walls. So that everybody thinks our marriage is fine. Everybody thinks our family's fine. Everybody thinks my finances are fine. I'm going to take care of it myself. 
And our self-reliance has become so powerful in the Western church that we won't ask for help. And when that happens, our pride has become repentant worthy. But for the rest of us, the majority of us, it's all about that sinful nature. And it's not just about the sinful nature. It's about the provisions that you're making for it. It's about the premeditation you're making for it. Because in a church this size, in a moment this big, with all of you watching online and all of you in here, some of you are living in premeditated provision for your flesh right now. You have an ongoing affair. You have a behavior that needs to be changed and you've premeditated for it. You've planned for it. You have a place in your schedule for it. And God says today to any of us in that situation, it's time to repent. It's time to make a course correction. It's time to turn that over. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, Paul says this. He says, since then you've been raised with Jesus. You need to set your heart on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Anybody in here struggle with that? Anybody online? Anybody ever struggle with ignoring the earthly things to think about the heavenly things? I do. And it is a hard thing sometimes to forget not what's right in front of you. Look what he says. He says, for we've died and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. So here's what he tells us to do, Christians. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature. That means that nature in us that wants to make provision for the flesh. He says, put it to death. And what are some of those things? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Listen, let's not kid ourselves. It isn't about just sexual immorality. We talk about that like it's the only sin in the entire world. Listen, this church is full. The the online viewership is full of people that struggle with something other than sexual immorality. There's greed and there's envy and there's lust and there's drunkenness. There's gossip, right? There's slander, right? There's dishonesty. There's all kinds of impurities that live within our sinful nature. And guess what? All of them want to be fulfilled. The question is, are you making provision for that flesh? Are you making space in your life to make sure that that part of your flesh is satisfied? And if you are, God's message to you today is really simple. It's time to repent. It's time to make a course correction. It's time to change. Because that path is no path at all. The last verse is in Romans 8.13. I want to share with you. Do you have Romans 8.13? Here it is. Therefore, brothers, he says, we have an obligation. We have an obligation, Christian. But it's not, listen, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. He says, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if we live by the Spirit, you'll put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Listen, that's the lifelong struggle for most Christian people. Great Christian people. People who love Jesus need course corrections. Can I get an amen? Listen, you're not a terrible person because you've decided you're in a season where you're not putting to death your sinful nature. It just means you need a course correction. And for years you were run out of, you were run out of the church because of it. Because man, we got to get you out of here because man, you probably don't know Jesus like you say. Listen, that's the dumbest thing in the entire world. You've got a terrible roommate, Christian. 
The Holy Spirit has moved in and he has to share the space with your sinful nature. And your sinful nature is rotten to the core. It likes certain TV shows. It likes certain crass jokes. It likes certain behaviors. It likes certain things to drink. It likes certain things to say. It likes certain lies to tell. Man, your sinful nature likes all kinds of crazy things. How in the world are you supposed to be a Christian and put to death the deeds of the flesh and all the hedonistic desires that come with it if you constantly aren't making course corrections? So listen, I know it's not... This is bigger than you kind of motivated mission talk today. But sometimes the only way to ever be any useful to God, any use to God in a bigger than you kind of moment is you got to do the kind of work that repentance requires. Israel refused. Israel refused. They absolutely refused to repent. And listen, for some of you in here that choose to ignore that spirit's call that says, come Come, let's get this worked out. Destruction's coming. It's bound to come. Because if you don't put to deed those desires in your flesh, you will die. It's going to happen. So man, I want to encourage you today. If you're in this space and you need, listen, if you just need somebody to pray with you because you're in a season where that's happening, to the left up here, we'll have our prayer team Right? We've got a, we've got a wonderful pastoral staff. We've got a team of people who'd be glad to help you. Listen, there's nobody perfect in here. None of us have this completely figured out. We need each other along the way. Sometimes, ultimately what it takes is you and I to change our course. Repent. Right? So we can do what God wants us to do. I want to end with this scripture. Right before the church began, Peter has a chance to preach to a group of people that want to know the ultimate question. What do we got to do about our, about our sinful behavior in killing Jesus? And Peter said this in Acts 2.38. He says to everyone, repent and be baptized, every one of you. At the end of the day, if you're in here or if you're online and you don't know Jesus, listen, it all starts there. It starts with pushing that button and says, I have decided. It starts with a conversation up here with somebody on our decision team. It starts with you and I recognizing, listen, the way that we're going isn't going to work. It's not going to get us where we want to go. We're going to have to course correct and repent. And then we're going to have to step into being baptized. And if you're a believer in here today, and you're a believer online, listen, this isn't an easy journey, church. Sometimes it's full of all kinds of roadblocks and pitfalls and all of us pastors included need course corrections sometimes we all just need to repent let's pray father thank you for uh the patience that you give us that allows us time to repent and father thank you for your holy spirit that the Bible says, convicts us, convicts us of our sin and of your righteousness and the judgment that comes when we live outside of that righteousness. And Father, my prayer right now is for all of us individually, for everybody online, for everybody in here. Father, we all know when you tell us it's time to repent, your spirit's voice is clear, your word is clear. 
And Father, I have no doubt that right now in this space and online, there are people that are struggling to come to terms with the message that you're sending them today. And that is to repent, to stop and to turn the path that they're currently on. And so I pray, Father, that you would overwhelm them with courage and strength today. That you'd overwhelm them with the confidence that when they do make that course correction, you're that Father that will simply run out to them and greet them with a warm embrace of love. And so, Father, I pray for the hearts of our people today to simply be turned to you and away from satisfying that sinful nature. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.